This morning's reading comes from Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple... It means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, 
and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then. And complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth. From the righteous blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stones those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, beautifully read once again. Don't need to preach when the Bible's read that. Oh. Um, we're doing um, throughout the year uh, one off what you call apologetics talks. So there's one today and there will be one in a couple of months' time. Apologetics is responding, uh, defending the Christian faith um, to the challenges put before it. And so um, that's what we're doing now. Last year, during the marriage laws vote, um, the Sydney Anglican Diocese made it public that they put $1 million into the No campaign. And there was an article in the Sydney Morning Herald um, by Anna Crine, and she wrote this. The Sydney Diocese is also worried about future generations. Quoting the Sydney Diocese, I think it's the Archbishop, uh, we find ourselves being moved in a more libertarian direction under the influence of those who want to abandon the mores of the past, Archbishop Glenn Davies recently said. Anna Crine writes, are the children... The Yes campaign needs only two words to respond to the ACL, that's the Australian Christian Lobby, the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, and the other religious heavy hitters' concerns about the children. Royal Commission. In other words, she's saying, what right do the Anglican Church, the Catholic Church, all the major churches in Australia who argue this um, argument uh, about protecting the children, what right do they have to speak about protecting children, considering the fact that they have not protected children over the last century and a half in Australia. That's the argument, the argument of hypocrisy. And whether it's the marriage debate 
or the Royal Commission, or whether it's the famous, infamous Trump evangelicals and their machine guns, or the, whether it's simply a friendship that you might have with a person who's a Christian who um, is critical and judgmental of other people and yet does not live, does not practice what they preach. Um, either way, you don't have to look far to find a hypocritical Christian. All you have to do is to see Christians acting in a way that is not, take the microphone out, uh, a way that is not Christian, inverted commas. You might have heard people say, that's not very Christian. Um, and while at the same time claiming the high moral ground, that's the very definition of hypocrisy. In 2017, there was a, uh, um, a faith and belief in Australia report made, done by um, the McCrindle Research Association. They uh, researched across Australia a whole lot of um, questions around where faith is at in Australia. And they learnt that the top three factors that negatively influenced Australians' view of Christians and Christianity are, number one, church abuse, secondly, religious wars, and thirdly, hypocrisy, where... For those people who are not Christians, um, the fact that there are Christians who don't practice what they preach, that is for 41% of them, that blocks them completely from being a Christian or from accepting Christianity. And for another 24%, they say it blocks them significantly. So that's like 65% of people who, for whom hypocrisy is a major issue. And this widespread attitude is a huge problem for Christians, for the church in Australia, because... Um, as the Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor has said, we are living in the age of authenticity. Um, being real, being transparent is um, so important now, especially for young people. Um, being genuine, it, it's what allows for trust to form. What is a hypocrite? What is a hypocrite? Um, it comes from an ancient Greek word, that was a technical term for a stage actor. So that's why we've got on the front cover of the booklet the mask, because um, the Greek actors used to wear masks. And um, it was acti- the idea was that hypocrites are mask wearers, but acting without ever acknowledging that this is what they're doing. It's like for many Australians, they think Christians are putting a performance, a religious piety performance on, and don't really realise that they're performing and have fooled themselves as if they really are religiously pious, are really, you know, living this holy life. And the big problem with hypocritical Christians is not... I I don't think so much that um, Christians sin or fail, but it's that the ones who pretend that they're actually not sinning or failing. Um, Or in some cases, they actually intentionally make decisions, moral decisions, which are the complete opposite of what the major teaching of Christianity is about. Like you, you occasionally might hear crazy ones from America. They're, 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 all the best stories come from America. Like you hear about the megachurch pastor who has his own private jet, you know, and you just think, Wait, where, how, did, how does that fit? How can you earn that much money as a pastor given all the things that Jesus says about the idolatry of wealth? So it's because of all these mask-wearing Christians that Gandhi famously said, I like your Christ... I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Or another famous uh, person who who really did not like the hypocrisy of the church was Mark Twain, who wrote in one of his notebooks, famously, if Christ were here, 
there is one thing he would not be, a Christian. Well, if you're like Gandhi, if you're like Mark Twain, if you're like the Fairfax journalist Anna Crine, and you can't stand all the hypocrites in the church, and this is a real problem for you, then I want to say you've taken a step towards Jesus. Jesus hates religious hypocrites too. If you look down at the reading that we had from the Gospel of Matthew, verse 3, talking about the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, he says, You must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not do what they they do not practice what they preach, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. This whole um, speech that Caitlin read out so well is full of irony. It's even full of jokes. Um, Effectively, what he's saying is follow their teaching if you must, but be sure not to follow their example. And, And actually, Jesus actually lays heavily into these religious hypocrites, these scribes and Pharisees. And according to Jesus, they have lost their authority. They are supposed to sit in like the tradition of Moses in his seat, you know, but they don't even, but they don't even practice what they preach. So they, they, they don't even have that kind of moral authority. So this is why Jesus actually over and over again, he clashes with them on, on all these different issues like um, teaching on the Sabbath, on purity, on divorce. But by saying and not doing, they impose rules on other people, Jesus says, and then they, they give them no help, um, in coping with these new rules. In fact, Jesus points out that their religious practices were uh, designed to win the approval of other people and not of God. Verse 5 says, Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. The phylacteries were the leather boxes that they wore uh, on their head and they had Bible, like the law written on, on um, paper and inside and, and they had straps. And because it's, you know, it, was, it was like a spiritual help device for the person, for their spiritual disciplines, but because of these straps, they could make them bigger and wider. It was like, how, look at how big my phylactery is. You know? um, it's a showing off thing, and the fringes is a similar thing. So um, you know, uh, there were the, at the time they wore these cloaks, and Jesus, in fact, wore cloaks. We know that from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 20, and 14, verse 36. And these cloaks had fringes again you know because you've got a bit of a fringe who's got the biggest fringe you know so they used to make the fringes longer and so all of this is about drawing people's attention to how religious you are and how holy you are and Jesus hated that and they also loved being noticed at social settings, these hypocrites. They loved being seen as important, getting the important seats in the house. I, I, I remember um, it was a bit of a family tradition of our family to um, go to the St Paul's Cathedral Christmas Eve carol service, which, um, if you've ever been, it's, it's the choir, it's like the traditional King's College choir style one. And it's packed, it's like, you know, a couple of thousand people. But because my mum and dad go to the church, my mum plays the organ there, we get like front row seats. So we used to like arrive, you know, at five to seven, it would be packed out and we just walk to the front and sit in the front row and looking around, you know, <laughs> next to the Governor General, you know, it, it was pretty important stuff. Now, you know, I can see how you can get an ego by your social status, but these religious hypocrites, they're doing this all the time. This is like they've got out of control. So if you hate religious poses, 
who project their false piety, who put on a mask, who like being noticed as if they are holier than thou and take the moral high ground but, but then judge other people and make life difficult for other people, then you are 100% in agreement with Jesus. Now, there's another thing to consider about this, about religious hypocrites, and Jesus makes this point in this chapter, and that is that just because a person self-identifies as a Christian doesn't mean that they are a true Christian. Just because there is an extreme hypocritical behaviour of some groups around the world who call themselves the church, it doesn't actually mean they are the church. Now, we, we make this distinction with the Muslim community. Any kind of progressive-thinking uh, Western person understands that when there's Islamic fundamentalism and people blowing themselves up to kill people, doing acts of terror, we make this distinction between true Muslims and extremists who aren't really practising true Islam. Uh, and in the same way, Jesus says... There is the actual people of God and the hypocritical fake people of God. There is a true church and a false church. Now, Donald Trump's claim, you know, he's come up with the phrase fake news, and Jesus says fake Christians. He doesn't actually say those two words, but it's kind of like he says those. He puts forward that concept. He points out that just because you present yourself to be a religious person, just because you dress and talk that way, doesn't mean you are. Look at verse 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. These hypocritical religious people are not in the kingdom, says Jesus. They don't even enter it. And worse still, they stop others from entering it too. This hypocrisy is not deliberate deception. It's actually self-deceit. They have missed the point of true Judaism, says Jesus. They focused on the minutiae and the external show of their religion and forgotten about the main point of the kind of life of love that God wants them to live. They've dug themselves into such a big hole of self-deceiving hypocrisy that it has turned them into enemies of God's true messengers, it says later in the passage in verse 29 to 36. So Jesus is not accusing them of being insincere or having double standards because they actually treat each other, uh, other people as they treat themselves. That's how bad they are. So neither are they or the other people they minister to, they don't enter the kingdom of heaven, which is another way of Jesus talking about salvation. They are not saved people. They, in fact, are so far gone from Judaism that they put huge emphasis on things that are less important and hardly any emphasis on the things that are most important to God. Verse 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practised the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. These weightier matters that Jesus is talking about, it's like um, what the prophet Micah says famously in Micah 6.8, um, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. These are the things that really matter. And most people will accept that, but for some reason these religious hypocrites have missed that point even, says Jesus. So he's, he starts telling you one of his jokes. It's, it's kind of a gross comedic saying. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. 
You strain out the little insect from the wine as you pour the wine from the thing through the filter into your cup and you notice a little unclean insect and you pull it out with your fingers like this and you completely miss it that also in there is a camel. My goodness. It's like one of those sayings, you know, that Jesus says like about the speck and the the splinter and the plank or the camel going through the eye of the This is Jesus the comedian here because he's saying these people are a laughing stock. They completely miss the point. And when I see Christians who promote, promote racist or sexist ideas or violence, I think how can these people even think of themselves as Christians? Their views are so different from the main ideas of Jesus. You might have heard of the famous Westboro Baptist Church who go to the funerals of soldiers in America and hold up placards that say, God hates fags. Now, they draw negative attention to the church, but they are not the church just because they self-identify as Christians. Once you go that far, Jesus says, you guys aren't even, what are you talking about? You're the church. You're not the church. The Apostle Paul writes in his letter to Titus, such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. And he says in another letter, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Jesus says, don't even follow these teachers. They're not even God's people. So I can understand why, if you see a bunch of examples of hypocritical Christians, that you might feel disillusioned about Christianity. But let me point you away from them and point you to Jesus. Because the Bible claims that only one human being was not hypocritical, and that is Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. When Jesus was on trial facing execution, uh, the authorities tried tried to find evidence to pin on him so that he could be executed, but they couldn't. So they tried to look for people, witnesses who would lie about Jesus, it says, so that they could put him to death. He had so much integrity that to falsify evidence to find a conviction. So if we want to really test if Christianity is true, don't look to Jesus' followers, but look to Jesus himself and what he offers to those who follow him. Jesus is the only non-hypocrite to have ever lived. That's the Christian claim. The rest of us, no matter who we are, no matter what our religion or non-religion, are hypocritical at one level or another. Everyone in this room, we claim to care for the environment. But all we do is signal our virtue with our keep cups and then hop onto any plane we like because we don't want to miss out on travel. We don't really care about the environment. We claim to be open and accepting of people of all cultures. Yet if you were to look at our list of close friends, they look similar to us. It's an embarrassing elephant in the room for the inner north that the schools of the inner north experience white flight. The Age did a series of articles on this a couple of years ago. As the inner north suburbs experience gentrification, immigrants um, are pushed out and white middle class people move in there's a kind of a espoused value that we have and then there's the real values that we have all people are hypocrites um, Romans three twenty three says that all fall short of God's moral standards and there is an old joke that goes a bit like this you might have heard I never go to church boasted a fringe fringe member 
Perhaps you have noticed that, Pastor. Yes, I've noticed that, said the pastor. Well, the reason I don't go is because there are so many hypocrites there. Oh, don't let that keep you away, replied the pastor with a smile. There's always room for one more. (laughs) See, while it's true that all people are hypocrites and the church is full of people who are hypocritical at one level or another, the actual challenge for Christians is that Christians have been called to live a higher calling, to live a morally upright life. A Christian's faith is demonstrated by their obedience to God. Paul writes in his letter to the church in Colossae, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. It's a new life that you've got to live. And the calling for Christians is to spend their life aiming for this higher standard, growing in Christ-likeness. But the Bible is also clear and our experience shows us that it's really, really hard. You make lots of mistakes. You stumble. Sometimes you stumble big time. All Christians sin. All Christians fall short of the perfection that we see in Christ. That includes me. I am not perfectly obedient to God. Sometimes there's an illusion that the pastor is, is, is God on earth. I'm, I'm sure, I know you guys don't have that illusion, but sometimes that illusion exists. Um, but, but every time I preach, I mean, you try preaching a sermon. The hardest thing about preaching a sermon is not standing up in front of people and reading the words out or, you know, coming up with the sermon. The hardest bit is that you realise that you're trying to teach other people to do what the Bible says and then you get convicted. Are, are you actually living this out? You know, it's, it's hard stuff. It's one of the ongoing challenges for the Christian that though we have been forgiven by God, and called by him to live a new life with our backs turned away from our old life, yet we still experience pain, disappointment, and suffering. God doesn't magically change us into perfection on the spot and take away all our troubles, but he has begun to change us, and we change through our lives. And we live in hope as Christians that God, who began a good work in us, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Christians believe we are a work in progress. We wrestle every day against sin and hypocrisy. And we rejoice when we make progress and we own up to the setbacks. And in fact, internal to Christianity is an anti-hypocrisy system, an anti-hypocrisy system called confession. When we confess our sins and own up to our failings, we are practicing transparency and honesty. We are being real. We are taking off the hypocrisy mask. Jesus describes this transparency in John chapter 3, verse 21. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done through God. So it shouldn't surprise anybody that Christians can't live up to this high calling with perfection because nobody can. But the key distinction we have to make is between the person who admits to their moral failings and the person who pretends like they're perfect. It's not possible to be be a sinless Christian, but it is possible to be a Christian who is an honest sinner. So I am in full agreement with you that, that if you claim 
that the world is full of hypocritical Christians. But I want to challenge you to consider, one, what other worldview or spirituality is there that exists that is self-aware of its own hypocrisy problem? And secondly, has a leader that hates religious hypocrisy? And three, has put in place a system that deals with the hypocrisy. Now, behind this issue of hypocritical Christians is another issue, a bigger issue perhaps, which is maybe the real issue, which is judgmental Christians. For some people, Christians seem so judgmental. And what do they mean by this? Well, some people react to the attitude of, my morality is superior to your morality. Um, If Christians have this kind of arrogance, then they are not necessarily following the teaching of the Bible. The Bible considers pride to be a serious sin. The book of Proverbs says this, there are six things the Lord hates, no, seven things. I love that part of the Bible. Six things the Lord hates, no, seven things, I forgot, that he detests, haughty eyes. And the King James Version translates that to a prideful look. Um, So there are six things the Lord hates, no, seven things he detests, people who look arrogant. Proverbs also says, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. So Jesus said that a fallen person's character is described like this. From within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander and pride. And foolishness, don't forget. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you, Mark 7, 21 to 23. So once again, if you hate proud religious people, then once again, you are on Jesus' side. If you hate judgmental Christians, once again, you agree with Jesus. Secondly, some people think that saying someone else is wrong is being judgmental. You know, people love to remind us that Didn't Jesus say, do not judge others and you will not be judged? But it doesn't take much of a logician, L-O-G-I-C-I-A-N, logic thinker, um, to work out the problem with this critique. The problem is that everyone, in fact, thinks that we are right. Nobody actually walks around and thinks, I am wrong, I am wrong, I am wrong. We all think we're right. What we need to become is humble in our positions. This is what Jesus says. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, verse 12, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This includes considering that the Christian view um, might be right, but also as Christians, we should listen to other people's views and consider what they have to say and be open, not just arrogantly sitting in our corner. What Jesus condemns is a critical and judgmental attitude or an unholy sense of moral superiority. Now, it's fine to judge, if by that you mean to exercise discernment, which might even mean to condemn people if they are committing acts of persecution or injustice or abuse. Moral outrage is necessary at times. It's actually a sin to stand back and say nothing and do nothing when there is injustice. In fact, you can be sure you are right and full of humility and be a very attractive person at the same time. Jesus did this. 
He was absolutely convinced he was right. He even said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I mean, that's a massive claim. Yet he was also known for his gentleness and humility. To his followers, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he told us to serve each other in humility. So it is clear that Jesus condemned hypocrisy. He condemned moral superiority. He condemned judgmentalism. But he did a lot more than that. He didn't come to just challenge people and condemn them for their hypocrisy. No, the main point of his coming was to seek and to save us. You might have heard of John 3.16. Well, let me tell you about John 3.17 and 18. God sent his, sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. The Bible says that because Jesus was perfectly sinless and the only person to not be a hypocrite, and because he is the son of God, then he is the true judge. He's the only one who can be the true judge. He will come to separate the sheep from the goats. And the great hope of the Christian faith is that Jesus, the only one who has the right to truly judge us, comes and offers forgiveness. He offers to take away your sins and your hypocrisy. Even if you think you are the worst of the hypocrites, living a complete double life, carrying dark secrets that you're ashamed of, Jesus has come to save you from your double life. He wants to make you whole again. He wants to restore your integrity. Jesus' whole purpose is to save the world. He just wants you to say yes to him. And I want to finish with Paul's words. He sums it all up about the Christian position with hypocrisy and what Jesus has done. And that comes from 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 16. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for, for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Amen.